Now, you're waiting for me to say Monday the 31st, but you know what? I'm on to you, people. It's Tuesday the 31st of May. Tomorrow's June. The symbol for June is M. We'll talk about that in the days to come. 1 p.m. Eastern time. Swizz here. You there. Dan Nathan joining me always. And oh, by the way, in just a few minutes, Carter Worth of Worth Charting will be on as well because we need him today. Today's market call brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity. And of course, we're powered by Open Exchange. Check them out on Twitter at Open Exchange TV. I uh, hope you had a great long weekend. I know I, I did. did quickly. I'll tell you in order. Uh, the New York Ranger game at home, that would be game six, Saturday evening, a win. Sunday was Top Gun with my wife and one of my kids. And then obviously last night, the Rangers of New York took care of business in Carolina. Eastern Conference Finals tomorrow at Madison Square Garden. How are you, Dan? Yeah, dude, I was fired up for you. I know you were at the game Saturday night. I know you were watching last night on TV. And to win the way they did on two game sevens in a row, Guy, what is your scouting report? Will this series with Tampa also go seven? And will June 14th have a home Series 7 to go to like the Stanley Cup. There. I yeah. like what you're doing there. The Rangers do have home ice advantage. Oddly enough, Tampa, two-time defending Stanley Cup <clears> champs. <throat> the difference in this series will be goaltending. As good as Igor yeah. Shesterkin has been, uh, the goaltender for the Tampa Bay Lightning has been equally good. Uh, we will see how this plays out. But people aren't tuning in for that, Dan. They're tuning in to find out what the yep. frick is going on with matter, these markets. Matter of fact, they we had are. a bit of a sell-off today, market bouncing back. We'll see if it holds. Um, a lot to talk about, though, Dan. Nathan. Yeah, so I thought these two competing headlines were really good. Amanda Diaz, obviously, just kind Crack of going, producer. Just, just going above and beyond here a little bit. You wake up, and there's two competing stories, right? It's this first one. We know uh, oil has been trading up all weekend. We know the EU ban of oil was coming, and you know we see crude, and we're going to go into much greater detail detail with Carter when he comes on in a few minutes on this one. But again, what does higher crude oil prices do? It means you're going to have pesky Mm -hmm. and more persistent inflation, as you like to say, Guy, um, on one side, right, which kind of really gives the Fed all the cover that they need to do to keep raising interest rates. On the flip side of that, we see this headline out of Foxconn. Basically, this is the largest uh, manufacturer of Apple iPhones in China, maybe saying that these lockdowns and some of the supply um, constraints that they've had aren't as bad. We know that Apple had already guided down. They usually, they said specifically something um, about China in particular. So these two competing headlines are kind of interesting, Guy, and I really do think this is going to be the push and pull in the markets over the next few months. Supply chains are extraordinarily important. We've been talking about them seemingly for two years. I don't think we ever talked about supply chains in the 14 and a half or so years prior on Fast Money. Now it's seemingly a weekly conversation, and understandably so. And listen, it was just a matter of time. You've been saying it for a while. You didn't think the supply chain problem would last forever, and it's seemingly starting to abate. Anecdotal, I get it, but at least it's a good sign without question. And this is not me just talking my book or usually my negative um, bias or whatever it is, but crude oil to me or energy sort of trumps all of that. Supply chains are important, but energy is still the thing that drives everything. And crude oil has been both pesty and persistent. It had every opportunity to break down. We will talk to Carter. It did not. Now it's bouncing. And again, you know, the Fed is doing everything it can to tamp down inflation. The problem is crude oil didn't get the memo, Dan. Yeah, well, you and I, we threw this chart up here a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we're just saying how it's really held that uptrend since those early December lows. We know what happened then. That's when the Fed 
pivoted. The, the Biden administration tapped that uh, strategic petroleum reserve. And since then, it's been, you know, bottom left, upper right, nice 45 degree angle. And here we are. We're trading about two month highs here. Um, let's see if we can hold, um, you know, to us. This is just kind of one input here about the whole mm-hmm. story. But I guess what I would say, Guy, on the supply chain stuff, though, is that if that is abating, I believe that you're also going to see the sort of weird supply demand dynamics in energy. And that's likely to abate also. But who knows, man? I mean, in the meantime, they could kind of cancel each other out. And that's probably what we're faced. And that crude oil chart, I mean, you 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 thought it was a blow off top in early March. It was. It's settled. But here we are. It looks like we're, we're kind of poised to retest. You also said the same thing about rates here. OK. And you thought that we'd see a flight to quality as growth fears kind of make their way through the markets. And you thought that people would be buying treasuries, thus having yields come in. They did. But I do think it's interesting, guy, when you look at this 10 year and you look at the move today, it's basically saying that it's giving the Fed more cover, right? What's going on in the energy markets to continue to raise at the pace in which they want, at least that they suggested they're going to do over the course of the summer. Yeah, and I lost you for a bit there. I'm sorry, Dan. I seem to have been... But yeah. um, that's what you just said. I mean, in terms of the growth fears and all those things, I'll say this. I think one of the reasons the market's been rallying over the last week or so, oddly enough, somewhat counterintuitive, is because the data's been sort of soft. And I think what the market is trying to glean from that is maybe the Fed doesn't have to be as aggressive as they've stated they will be, and maybe this softening data will take the Fed, take their foot off the gas pedal and... Rates won't go as high as yeah. abruptly and those types of things. I think that's somewhat misguided, but I think that's where we're in the midst of now. In terms of yields, I think that's exactly what we're saying as well, that yields obviously traded north of 3%, significantly so in the 10-year, pulled back, yes, in a form of a flight to quality, but also in the form that maybe things are slowing. So in both cases, yields going lower, again, just my opinion, is not a positive sign. No, I agree with that. Let's look real quickly at the trusty CME FedWatch tool here. That's basically saying, uh, you know, a very high probability by the July meeting that Fed funds rate's going to be um, at that 2% uh, upper bound guy. And so that's the thing. You're just going to keep watching the data to see if there's any reason why the Fed should pull back on it. That seems to be a pillar of the bull case. But one of the things that you highlighted, you know, this HYG, mm-hmm. this high yield um, ETF, right, that checks high yield bonds. And one of the things that you've been highlighting over the last few months or so is that it's been trending lower. In the last couple instances, it got to 80 or below. We definitely had some instances where where there was fear of some sort of of credit moment, right? And that would have been the thing that could have gotten, I think, the equity market going much lower. You highlighted last week that the silver lining was that the HYG, or at least what was going on with credit, looked like it was trying to make a bottom here. And not only did it look like it bounced off 76, it went in a straight line to 80 and got rejected. Now, on a percentage basis, maybe that's not a huge move, but I think directionally, you think that's kind of important. No, it's very important. And and listen, for most things, it's not a huge move. For this instrument specifically, or security is a huge move in terms of the HYG, something that historically doesn't move, you know, was sort of sitting around 88 for the longest time, obviously sold off. And I think at least we were early to the dance to try to point out that, hey, folks, you might want to take a look at this this seems to be starting to roll over. What I took from last week, and I'm glad you pointed it out, was the fact that although the market was under pressure, 
Uh, the HYG wasn't. The HYG was actually holding in there, and I took that as sort of an encouraging sign. Subsequently, it seems like the broader market rallied, and HYG did that as well. I think a lot of it is short covering, is my sense. Again, I think a lot of it's predicated on maybe the fact that the Fed is not going to be as aggressive as everybody thinks they're going to yeah. be. Again, just my opinion. I think that's all going to be short-lived and somewhat misguided, and we'll see. But if the HYG starts to roll over again, which it appears to be doing to your point, uh, that's no bueno, as they say. No bueno. But, guy, you know, one of the things that's really nice about you and me just kind of putting on screens like this and talking to each other each day on Market Call I and enjoy doing, it. It, doing it on our podcast, doing it on CNBC's Fast Money a few nights a week is that we're kind of on the record every day about what's going on with markets. And I think that, you know, we highlight this every once in a while. Some people like to label us as, I don't know, perma bears or whatever. I think we got um, incrementally more constructive. This is not me trying to pat ourselves on the back um, over the last couple weeks, we just thought that sentiment was getting really bad. Things were getting very oversold. And it looked like there was at least some near-term trading opportunities. But one of the things I think is really important is timeframes. When you think about markets, when you think about trading versus investing, that sort of thing. And so we had Mike Wilson. He's the CIO and market strategist um, at Morgan Stanley. He comes on CNBC a lot. He was on our podcast on Friday. You and I spoke with him for more than a half an hour and got into his kind of call. He's been pretty cautious on the stock market since the fall here. And he's been right. And we had a great conversation with him. He's out with a note this morning saying, it's not all clear yet, people. And again, some things might have gotten really oversold, overdone to the downside. But structurally, you know, with the S&P guy right now, as I'm staring at my screens, down less than 13% of the year, all of what's happened, okay, the correction for, you know, a year and a half or multiple years of kind of some very bad investment, if you will, is not going to be encapsulated in a 20% peak decline. In my opinion, he's saying we're not clear yet. Look at this one-year chart of the S&P futures. You see the 150-day up there at 4450 guy. You see where we got rejected um, earlier today at 4200. What's your take on the S&P here? And the S&P, the, the 150-day moving out. A worth will be joining us in a few minutes, and that yeah. will not listen. That is rolling over, and that is officially now headed lower, and that takes a long time to turn the other way. So, in my opinion, again, just my opinion, the worm turned in November. Obviously, we've been in this down market. We've seen significant bounces along the way. That's where in the midst of now. But I agree with Mike Wilson, and you know, you think about for somebody like Mike. And it's easy just to be bullish all the time and have no, yeah. basically no repercussions for being wrong if the market goes down. He's putting it out there now, and I appreciate that. I agree with you. Uh, the difference now between years past is, again, my opinion, there's no backstop. At least there's no backstop within 10 to 15 percent. Maybe the Fed put lives and maybe it lives around 3,400 or so, but it certainly doesn't live at 4,000. And I don't think it lives at 30. Yeah, no, I agree with that guy. You're breaking up a little bit. So when you kind of pop out, I'm going to pop in here. And, and you know, I guess one of the, the the things that I would say about that is easy to kind of say, well, that's it. You know, things got overdone. You know, we're starting to get some headlines where inflation's peaking, supply chain's getting better, you know, all that sort of stuff. You know, who knows? But I'm just not a buyer of things that I want to do <clears throat> for an intermediate to a longer term basis um, after the sort of week that we've had. Um, I want to buy things when it looks really bad, if you will. And if you look at the 
NASDAQ here and you see that kind of 150 day. Also at like 14, this is the NASDAQ futures, the NASDAQ 100 futures, 14,671. And you see that 13,000 kind of breakdown level. I mean, kind of an important level that it was not able to even retest. You see how steep that downtrend has been. Let's see how the NASDAQ futures are trading at 12,000 if they get back there in the near future. And then the last thing I just wanted to hit before we get to Carter on Salesforce.com is reporting after the close tonight, about $15 implied move in mm-hmm. either direction. That's tomorrow, guy. That's about 8%. You see that downtrend. I connected the two big dots. It gets you to about 180. That's also the, the breakdown level from earlier in April. Any thoughts here? Because this is a stock that at its lows was down, what, cut in half nearly. Um, you know, a company that's a bit of a roll-up now, I think, on um, a, a gap basis, on an EPS basis. Still pretty expensive, trading about 30 times. Expected uh, sales growth about 20%. But again, they've been buying companies over the last few years or so, trading just below five times sales. Thoughts here on Salesforce into the print here, because it really hasn't had a huge rally off those recent lows. No, no. For you playing bingo, if you have temerity, here you go. Because if you have the temerity to get involved here, I think it actually can bounce to that 180 level, which would still put us in a downtrend. And 180 from here is about, Dan, and you can do that math, about an 11% or so move. I think that sort of makes sense. We'll still be in a downtrend. It'll still be problematic on valuation, uh, but you might get sort of this knee-jerk rally, this relief rally that we've seen in a number of different names. So I actually think, in my opinion, you can buy Salesforce for a bounce post-earnings, but you get out of it quick, especially if it trades up to that trend line, which should come into your point around 180 or thereabouts. Yeah, I would just say that to, to what I'm focused on here, Guy, is to see that if the quarter um, looks pretty good and the guidance is not bad, you know, if the stock A can rally, if it could get up anywhere near that kind of 8% um, implied move, and then whether that rally could stick. On the flip side of that, if they were to guide down, you know, it really would be the sort of situation where if it's not a big guide down, um, and the stock's down so much already, you know, does it kind of just not get nailed is, is really the question here. So this will be really kind of interesting. I don't think anyone needs to have a whole heck of a lot of temerity, whatever that means, in front of the print, though. I'll tell you that. Look it up. It's a great word. Am I allowed to do this? Because I love this part of the show. Yeah. This is the part where we get infinitely smarter and extraordinarily uh, sexier when I bring in the great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, how are you? You've heard Dan and I you know, behind for the last 15 I gotta minutes. Say, thoughts? I don't get greetings like this anyway. Not <laughs> out of the office. I mean, genius, sexy. I mean, God bless you. Well, it's <laughs> all true. I true, mean, course, I speak but, the truth. Uh, you heard us. I accept more and more, please. <laughs> how are I? Well, uh, yes. I mean, market, look. It's another counter trend. How long it lasts, we don't know, but there have been two, and this is the third. We made our first 10% plus sell-off, market peaks Jan 4, and on January 24th, a big rally ensues, 9%. And we make a new low one month later, Feb 24, and we get a 12% rally. And then we make a new low, May 20, and then we've had a bounce. This bounce is 8 9%. I think it carries a little further. Uh, independent of whether one is bearish or bullish, bull market, bear market, the sequencing, this bounce is normal or normative. It's in line with the others. And I think it's got a bit more to go. And to be frank, look at today, even today, you know, it's weak and then it shakes it off. Um, I think we go higher a bit. Yeah. So I use, oh, I'm sorry, Dan, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, you know, again, you know, Carter was calling for this. You know, we had this sort of move here and none of us are going to kind of nail the exact bottom here. I think you were kind of a day early. We had one more nasty day, but we are well above those lows in which you called it here. And and do you think it's fair to say, Carter, I don't know if you heard me say earlier that, you know, the S&P down 13%, given all the uncertainty we have as we head in the third month of the second quarter, um, it just doesn't seem that right. So I'd love for this thing to get a little frothier in the next couple of days, and then we see how quickly it takes us, or what are the headlines that cause us to retest those recent lows? Right, or just think about if you took the line, maybe we have an S&P chart here we can pull up, but the one you had before. If, if we look at the bounce, Instead of having it a bounce, put it as a decline. If we'd gone down another 9% instead of bouncing right there, if that entire uh, pullback there, bounce, were the exact opposite, we'd drop from 38 to 35 or 34, we would be getting done with it. But it's the bounce that keeps essentially the bear market alive. It means that money keeps being put in. Usually it's not finished until no one wants to do it anymore. They're like, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do it. Clearly, people are still interested. Clearly, they are. Um, all right, here's the deal, Carter. Let's talk about this. You saw that crude chart that we threw up there. We didn't want to go too deep into um, commodities here, the energy sector here. We're breaking out of this kind of multi-month range here in crude. You saw the headlines. Um, talk us through a little bit about this because it seems like this is a very consensus trade now that everyone wants to be kind of long crude oil or long the energy complex. I do think it's interesting, though, that I saw like Goldman Sachs today downgrade, downgraded steel, you know, and we know that there's been a lot of these industrial commodities over the last year or so. It hasn't been a straight line higher here, but we have headlines that are causing the energy sector to stay bid and crude in particular to break out. Walk us through what you're seeing and how you think it plays out. Sure. So if you think about it, just for lack of a better word, we have these words value growth. Of course, that's ridiculous. Everyone who's buying something think it's worth something more later on, otherwise you wouldn't buy it. But we have that nomenclature and all value is working. Growth was in trouble, but then steel. Aluminum, you saw Alcoa, Nucor, all dropping 20, 30% banks. And the only thing that has resisted the selling pressure, even Staples, of course, defensive, uh, has been energy. And the question now, though, is, is energy's relative performance to the S&P basically so wide on a rolling three, six-month basis that it, it implies some mean reversion? That's ultimately my premise. I think we're, we're full. Energy stocks are well-bid. Uh, many of them absolute steep, but relative very steep. And so my hunch is that those, uh, the spike high when the war first started remains the peak for the commodity and, and that the energy shares are better as trims, selling calls, taking some measures before, as they say, someone does it for you. Um, well, here's a chart. Look at this. This is actually, so again, ratio charts in the long, short world, people are even beta neutral and dollar neutral. Um, they spend a lot of time because you're, you're trying to beat a benchmark um, or other competitors in the space. Now, this is simply taking the S&P 500 energy sector and its relative performance to the S&P, one divided by the other. And then I've put the 150 moving average on that. Now, that is an arithmetic scale. Let's go to log scale. And we'll flip back and forth here. We're going to toggle. That's log. Let's go back to arithmetic. Now, there's the arithmetic. It would appear we start with arithmetic, that right now, way down there at the bottom in 2021, that yes, energy has been a massive underperformer. But what we're focusing on is how far above the 150-day moving average. One could say, well, it's nowhere as steep as it was 
in the peak in 2007, we'll go back now to log. We're farther above than ever. And the problem with that is that whenever you've gotten this far above or below, you mean revert. There's just kind of no way out of that. So let's drill down a little bit if we can. Let's look at some here and now charts of the same thing, same ratio. The next chart is a, I believe what we've got, all right, this is the Russell 2000. Now, this is perfect. Check this out. One could say there's no way the current reading is as extreme as that 07 peak. It is. It's more extreme. Check this out. Flip it over to log now. We are farther above the 150-day now than we were in 07. And just looking at that, if you didn't know what that was, and you were just looking at there's a yellow line, which is some security. Could be a fixed income, could be a commodity, could be sushi, sneakers, could be Coke or Pepsi, and there's the moving average. Every time this security, forget what it is, has gotten so far below or above the 150, what happens? It mean reverts. Does it have to? Of course not. Am I making the bet that it will? You betcha. Um, and we've got others, but uh, yeah. Well, let, let's 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 take a step back for one second here because I think it's really interesting. You know, you made the same call that Guy did um, back in March when you know crude oil went parabolic. You could have thrown a dart at at kind of anything that was really that well correlated to crude oil and the way it had just kind of gone up twenty points in a straight line, and then you had that sort of mean reversion. But Carter, the way that crude oil has kind of worked its way up that that uptrend over the last few months, that looks a bit different does it feel a li- little bit different like it's kind of been building in a different way rather than just kind of that that explosion to the upside sure well because well, it had the it had the blow off now the question is and this is this is the only question that matters was the market at that moment was it quite efficient in six sessions and we'll look at crude at the end pricing in everything that's coming out now. yeah so what happened and just to be clear it was a friday and crude wti was trading at 90 dollars a barrel and six sessions later, Friday, February 20th to Monday, March 7th, crude went from $90 a barrel to $130. That's a 45% move up $40 a barrel in six sessions. Now think about that. People are assessing, wait a minute, he's just crossed the border into Ukraine. Wait a minute, what will that mean? He's going to ultimately cut off the gas prompt. Ultimately, he's going to make you pay in rubles. Ultimately, this and ultimately that. The market, there's the crude order. Are we going to take out that hype? Right now, we have news that should be unbelievable, meaning all of Europe's going to get off of Russian oil. How come crude's not 190? The point is it was priced in in six sessions, 90 to 130. Look at, look at uh, we have uh, Brent here too. So despite the fact that it's a good-looking chart, it's walk online, it's yep. worked out of the wedge, do we take out those eyes? I think the market in its infinite wisdom in six sessions Brent went from 100 to 140. Think about that. In six sessions, it was all priced in, including then three months ago, ultimately, Europe's going to stop getting Russian gas. What would it take now? What news could come along now that's going to make it go back to those highs? This is a classic. Yeah. Well, Carter, let's let's talk about this for a second. And, and again, we're not charting this. This is more just from a discussion standpoint. So the last time crude oil was trading at these levels, it was 2014 or so, right? And we know what happened. You know, the dollar was rising. We started coming off ZERP and, 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 and stopped QE and, and all that funny business, which is what we're doing now. And we saw crude oil over the next two years get more than cut in half. It's down 65% or so. And again, you know, Guy would say a lot of different dynamics 
here, but especially if you want to draw it to, um, I guess, energy stocks. When you think about the XLE, that we know 50% of that is Chevron, Exxon, mm-hmm. and Schlumberger. And from the highs in 2014 to its lows in early 16, when crude was down 65%, you know, the XLE was down about 50%. Okay. So here we are now with the XLE, again, made up of those three large stocks, 50% of it, you know, has come a long way. I think it was low 20s in, in the throes of the pandemic in early 2020. And here we are at 90 or so. So when you're thinking about this relative, you know, the S&P versus, let's say, the energy sector, is the XLE what you're focused on on the flip side of that if you're playing for that mean reversion? Sure. And remember, you can have energy go up and S&P go up, energy go up less, yep. and the pair of trades working, right? So there's yep. thousands of different ways to get the result. But I would point out also, so here we are. We have big news, right? And the commodity is up big. S&P 400 right now, energy is down. Russell 2000 energy is down. Where's the, meaning it's a classic buy the rumor, sell the news, whatever adage or idiom you want. How is it possible that that's all we've got after news such as all of Europe is going to stop getting their oil from where they get their oil? Oil should be up $40 a barrel. Yep. Well, let's go back to this WTI um, chart in a second, um, you know, also here, because to me, if this thing were to mean revert, and, and, and to your point, at this point, the kind of the mean reversion would be back to that uptrend. So let's say we're back at 108. Are you a buyer there as long as it holds that up? I think that's fair. I mean, that's yeah. as good a technique as any. We're at one, we just backed away from 120. You start printing, you know, 105, you play for the bounce. It, it, w- w- there are two things. There are two subjects, right? Structurally, was that six-day advance up 45%? Was, did that set the high? I believe yeah. that. And yeah. then tactically, okay, now let's make some money because we're not sitting here running 10-year money and thinking about our allocation to energy and what does it mean and ESG and the war ends at some point or Putin dies or whatever disease he has. Who knows? But the point is, yes, if you trade down to 105, let's play it for a bounce. Yep. All right. I got you. All right. That's really helpful. I mean, listen, if I'm trading crude and guy used to do it back in the day, but if I'm trading crude futures here, um, I might look for a play back to that kind of 110 level, but I might stop it, Carter, not too far from here, man, because if it were to break out, it might be making a beeline for that little circle that you had at those prior highs here. So, right. And then, and then what you do at a former high is big. And that's why double tops are so important. Yeah. Um, But I just find it interesting that you're kind of like, wow, with that kind of news, that's all you got. Yeah. Well, I just mentioned that period in 2014, 15, when the dollar was going higher, when rates were going higher um, and crude oil was getting hit. There was also some growth concerns back then in 15 and early 16 that kind of helped that trade along here. You know, but the dollar was really an important kind of input to this whole equation. A week or two ago, you thought the dollar had gone too far, too fast. We're looking at the Dixie, the DXY, the U.S. dollar index. We know 50 percent of that or so is the euro. Talk to me about the lines that I draw. Your, your 150 moving average is down there at 98. Mm-hmm. It's not far off of that kind of uptrend that it bounced, but but it really did get, it just kind of widened a great deal at its highs just a couple of weeks ago from trend. Talk to me about your your, your call on the Dixie and, and kind of when you think enough is enough. Right. So the, the, the 105 levels, what's key is that was a well-defined top from about four years ago, right? And it gets a little bit above that and then, and then backs away. The question is, and it's hard to know. Once you get a counter trend move, whether it's, for instance, BABA going up today, right? Or Chinese shares, or in this case, a down move, a counter trend. The primary trend is up, that's incontestable. And we now have a counter trend move. How far do they last? That's what moving averages are for. Some people use a short term, like a 50. Um, but your lines are great. And what it shows is that there's 
The real trend would suggest that this can go down towards 100. And here's why I would say that. Because remember, every day that you go out to the right, that trend line is rising. And so I think ultimately 199 is kind yeah. of where uh, the Dixie comes to rest. All right, so let's let's talk about this one, Guy Dami. If you're back with us here, let's talk about gold a little bit here because this is one where it was kind of interesting how it it kind of decoupled from Bitcoin a little bit when it seemed like you know the Bitcoin um, you know couldn't couldn't catch a bid, making new 52 week lows a little bit. But, but but gold right now, Guy is really contending with a couple technical spots. Carter can weigh in on that. I was just curious your correlations with with gold and Bitcoin. We're looking at Bitcoin in a second here and what do you think some of the catalysts might be for it to kind of hold at these key technical levels and why you'd want to play for a bounce higher yeah and i apologize i was having some sort of wi-fi issue so i'll answer those questions i think one of the reasons bitcoin came off as precipitously as it did and we've talked about is the fact that the fed got hawkish in november i think that everybody's come to that conclusion i think the recent rally is on the back of soft economic data which leads people to believe maybe the fed won't be as hawkish. I think that's the move from 25,500 to 32,000 in Bitcoin. In terms of gold, though, same dynamics are at work. I mean, it's just been treading water here. But to the earlier chart, the dollar chart, if the dollar starts to give up ground here in a meaningful way, to Carter's point, I think that headwind that's been there for gold will become a tailwind. So I still think the gold rally, well, I shouldn't say rally, I still think the potential for the gold rally is intact. And I'm going to stand by that, especially for whatever reason. If this Fed were to blink for whatever reason or to think somehow inflation is under control, I think that will open the floodgates for gold. Carter, I'm give I'm with it to you us. on that. Um, but first, let me say, I thought you were going to do something. This was like a surprise. You're doing a costume change. You're going to come back to <laughs> or, or a hat or something when you were off. But uh, anyway, you're still in the same shirt. That was exciting there for a second. Anyway, um, I'm with you. I think, look, it, it, the, the, this is what the expression is. Benefit of the doubt is given. Is it at a great juncture? No. We know it held trend. If you look at the five-year trend line, it's sort of muddling. It's what a pair of twos is. If I were long, I'd stay. Now, here and now, should we rush out and buy this versus maybe you know FXI or Baba or, or, or something that's more timely? No, but I would hold in the proper sense of hold, not Wall Street wink, wink, euphemism. Yeah. All right. So what you just mentioned the term muddling here. This Bitcoin is having a little bit of a bounce today, but it really has been after that kind of breakdown um, just you know a, a, a couple of weeks ago. Really banging around these lows, Carter, from 52 mm. weeks ago here. Um, you know, we know there's a huge air pocket between like 30,000 and the low 20s. Quick take there. We just have a one-year chart, but yes, no, again, it's a perfect chart, and it, yeah. and it's fighting for its life at a moment where it needs to because you break here. My thinking is it breaks, and sometimes it's this kind of thing that ultimately is a setup for the break. But the, the thinking that somehow that's it, it's fixed, and this is going to go on and do a big rally. I'm just not in that camp. All right. Well, that's it. I think we're all kind of in that camp a little bit. It seems like the bloom is off the rose with crypto just for the for the time being. And you could have said that at any point um, a, a couple other times over the last year and a half when it was trading at the same levels. And there are big rallies um, from those lows at some point also. So, again, um, Guy, if you're with us, buddy, take us out. Carter, thanks a lot, buddy. Listen, I'm sorry, everyone. I apologize. I don't know what's going on. Unstable internet is the cause. Maybe there's something happening that I'm not aware of. But that's it for Market Call. I apologize. I'll much better tomorrow. By the way, tomorrow, Dan, you want to just sort of tease folks and let them know where we'll be? 
Oh, yeah. You and I are on an early flight to Miami. We're going to be at the iConnections Digital Assets Conference. Um, they are a sponsor of our podcast, along with CME of On The Tape Podcast. So we're going to be down there doing a live market call. Danny Moses, our co-host of On The Tape, will also be down there with us. So definitely tune in live at 1 o'clock tomorrow. That's going to be a lot of fun in sunny Miami. It will be. I want to thank Carter Braxtonworth, and you are both sexy and brilliant. And yes, I'm saying that, yes, on live television. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Obviously, thank you to Open Exchange for powering this. We'll see you tomorrow from the FLA, 1 p.m. See ya. Bye.